Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. We are solution architects and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we dive deep, demystify technology, and talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives in topics of interest. All right, hey everybody. Um, hello, nice to see everybody. My name is Shai Perenik, and this is episode 88 of the AWS Tech Chat Podcast. Uh, for today's show, I'm joined by my co-host, Mohammed, uh, who we've had on before. Matt, uh, Mohammed, you've been a peer of mine for a long time, so super excited to have you here. been working with you for many years. Matt, same thing as well. We've all been friends for a long time and works on along all you guys. Uh, I'm super excited to have you both on. We're going to talk about Amazon Graviton today. Um, so I want to welcome all our listeners to the show. I want to welcome you guys on, and thank you for helping put this together. Um, let's go some, through some quick introductions. Sure. Thank you, Shai. This is Mohammed. Mohammed Ansoor, I've been uh, with AWS for about five years. My background is in application development plus DevOps. Uh, super excited to be part of this conversation and uh, excited to share some great customer use cases going forward. Thanks, Shai. Uh, my name is Matt Klein. I'm a solutions architect. I've been with AWS for about two and a half years out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and Shai, you were actually my onboarding buddy here at, <laughs> at AWS. So you helped me uh, help me learn the ropes and figure out uh, where where the water cooler and where the coffee is. Uh, so I appreciate that. But uh, you know, if if this doesn't go well, it's it's my kind fault. of your fault. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. That's <laughs> fine. I'll take I'll, I'll take the blame on that one. We've been good friends for a long time, so it's probably not the first time I'm taking your blame. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, my background is as a full stack developer and architect. I've worked with customers that are uh, every, everywhere from startups to enterprises in a variety of industries. I've uh, been with AWS again about two and a half years, but working with the cloud for about nine years. Uh, so it's been a great run, and I'm really excited to talk about Graviton today. Awesome. Well, well, let's get started with that, right? So everybody, again, thanks for joining the show. You know, let's go over the topic. We're going to talk about Graviton specifically. So, Mohammed, why don't you kick us off with kind of just a quick overview of what Graviton is? Sure, absolutely. AWS Graviton processes are designed by AWS to deliver best price performance for your cloud workloads running EC2 and RDS. This is the third generation processor which was built on ARM architecture. Graviton processors are supported by many Linux operating systems, including Amazon Linux, Red Hat Enterprise, SUSE, and Ubuntu. All right, thanks for that, Mohammed. So I want to get into the the history of kind of uh, Graviton here because it's actually pretty exciting, and this is this is something that we developed. So Matt, can you take us through a bit of the history here? Sure. Thanks, Shai. Um, so yeah, we do have three generations of Graviton 2 processors that are available. I'd say the primary version as of the middle of 2022, when we're recording this right now, the primary version we see in the wild is Graviton 2. Uh, this was introduced at reInvent 2019. Uh, now there was a Graviton 1, and that was introduced in 2018 as the first generation of our servers powered by ARM CPUs. And, and we'll talk about what an ARM CPU is in just a moment. Uh, but Graviton 1 supported smaller instances. The, the Graviton 1 CPUs maxed out at uh, 16 uh, vCPUs and 32 gigs of memory. Uh, so it was a way to sort of dip our toes in the water, uh, you know, experiment with these ARM-powered servers, and as we like to do, get some customer feedback about whether or not folks were finding this useful. Um, and it turned out that the feedback was so positive that we scaled up Graviton to handle more demanding instance types. So that Graviton 2 chip that I mentioned from reInvent 2019 was actually the first of these Graviton CPUs that supported sort of the, the mainstream EC2 instances. So your, your M-series general purpose, your C-series compute optimized, and your R-series uh, memory optimized. So all of those instances are supported. Now, if you look at our sixth generation 
EC2 instances, they're supported with Intel, AMD, and Graviton. And what you'll see if you look at the spec sheets is that if you look at, say, an M6i for i for Intel um, at a 2x large size, that's going to get you 8 CPUs and 32 gigs of RAM. If you look at an M6a, which is powered by an AMD chip at 2x large size, it's going to get you 8 CPUs and 32 gigs of RAM. And likewise, if you look at an M6g, G for Graviton, at a 2xL size, it's going to get you... <laughs> Guess what? Eight vCPUs and 32 gigs of RAM, right? So it's the same vCPU and RAM spec across at a 2x large size or a 1x large size or 4x large size, right? It's, it's the same resources there across all of those different CPU architectures. Matt, there's great stuff there. I just want to call that out real quick. So, you know, people didn't realize and maybe point out that when you see the I, that's Intel, A for AMD and G for Graviton, right? That's just a, a really quick way to determine what CPU architecture you're using. Um, and know what instance type. So if you're going through maybe your existing workloads and you're looking at those uh, EC2 instances that you have today, I would say probably all those ones that are either I are an opportunity to optimize for either, you know, A and move them to AMD or move them to Graviton, which is some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Uh, so that's a, a really easy way to spot that out. Um, well, I don't know, you want to get back to the, the Graviton 3 there? Because I know that one came out in uh, 2021, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Graviton 3 was introduced at reInvent 2021. Uh, and that is more of an incremental up upgrade. You know, the, the upgrade from Graviton 1 to Graviton 2 was, was a really significant jump up, right? That let us go from some of those smaller instance types, which we still have available, right, as the A-series instances. But uh, that Graviton 2 let us go up to support those sort of mainstream EC2 instance types. Graviton 3 is an incremental upgrade. Uh, it's about a 25% incremental upgrade in performance over Graviton 2. Um, there are some more significant improvements in floating point and a couple of machine learning operations that we've optimized for uh, based on the kinds of workloads that our customers are running. Um, and the Graviton 3 chips are available in a smaller variety of instances right now. Again, as of mid-2022, they're available in our compute-optimized, our C7 uh, instance types. I expect that's going to increase over time. Uh, so check your uh, existing, check your spec sheets, uh, you know, when you are listening to this podcast or when you're listening to, or when you're going to deploy your workloads, uh, check and see where it's available. Uh, but that's, uh, I, I would expect to see Graviton 3 roll out across the line as time goes on. And what do you, what do you both think as far as if you're, if you're a customer running Graviton 2, should, should you be rushing to move to Graviton 3? Should you be pushing your teams to move to, to Graviton, Graviton 3? Uh, what, what do you guys think? I'd say take a look at the, um, at the Graviton 3 specs and see, you know, if your workloads really have a high uh, dependence on, say, floating point performance, because there's been a significant upgrade in floating point performance. Um, if you're doing cryptographic workloads, uh, there's up to 2x improvements in cryptographic workloads. And, you know, in some ML workloads, uh, like bfloat16 is supported in Graviton 3. Um, so, there, there are some of those cases where Graviton 3 can really provide a significant increase over Graviton 2, um, but it's not necessarily in every case. So um, yeah, I would I would take a look and see if you can really benefit from some of those specific cases. Um, if not, it, it's something that I think you should probably look at. You know, if you have a C6 instance, a C6G, you know, bumping that up to a C7G is going to get you, uh, you know, again, up to 25% better general compute performance. Uh, but you'll really see a bump up if you're using one of those more specialized uh, types of compute. Yeah, cool. Thanks Thanks for that detail. So I, I think it's kind of clear that if you're deploying a new workload, you should just go with Gariton 3. There's no reason to go with the, the older architecture for some of the old, uh, if you've had a new workload, there's no reason going with an old architecture. 
Um, let's clarify though, you know, I know some people are hearing us say arm a bunch of times, right? We're, we're not talking about our physical arms, right? We're talking about a physical processor here. You know, maybe a lot of people know arm from, from a, you know, from uh, a cell phone chip or, you know, it's not, it's not x86, it's not an x64 chip. Uh, can we dig into that a little more on, you know, kind of what an arm chip actually is here and, and what, what's special about Graviton here? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So when we talk about ARM versus x86, so that's referring to the low-level programming language that you that we use to actually talk directly to the CPU. Um, and x86 was developed by Intel uh, originally, and Intel and AMD both make chips that understand that x86 programming language. So when you have some code that you write and you compile that code, what's happening now with modern programming languages, it's a little bit more complex, but what's happening in general is that that programming language is being translated down into the low-level programming language of your target CPU. Right. So if you're writing some code in Java or some code in .NET and you compile that, then that's going to eventually, again, with some asterisks there, but that's going to eventually produce an artifact that can run on that particular x86 CPU. Now, if you've ever taken a file, an application, and copied it from an Intel system to an AMD system, the reason that works is because both of those chips are speaking x86. But that won't work with an ARM CPU because ARM chips speak an entirely different programming language. Um, so a lot of applications that you would need to compile, um, such as, again, Java or .NET, they would need to be recompiled to run on that ARM CPU. Um, and that depends on whether or not the Java or .NET languages support the ARM CPU architecture. Now, the good news is they do. And for most software, this recompilation process is pretty painless. Uh, you know, Mohammed, I think you ha you're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail a little bit later on. Uh, but yeah, in most cases, that recompilation process is pretty painless. And actually, for a lot of other sort of high-level languages, like say uh, Java or Python, uh, excuse me, not Java, JavaScript or Python, um, those languages don't have a compilation step. And so the same code you can actually take directly from uh, an x86 machine and move it to an ARM machine. And there's no compilation needed because the underlying language already supports the ARM architecture. Um, so the actual script is able to run with no modifications. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to call out there. I know that a lot of my customers that I've had discussions with, and we've talked about ARM in the past, that's a, that's always been one of the first challenges and one of the first questions is, okay, if I move to ARM, that means I have to reprogram everything and I have to recompile and recreate everything. Um, and I don't think that that's entirely true, right? Like based on what you guys are talking about, if you're writing in a language that understands the underlying ARM processor, you're not actually even recompiling or rewriting anything. You can keep things the same thing as they are. Um, am I understand that correctly, or, or is there more to it when it comes to recompilation? And mom, if you're going to talk about that later, we can certainly hold off for a bit. No, I'd, I'd say just in, just real quick, I'd say that's exactly right. Uh, you know, back in the days when ARM chips were first starting to be used in um, general purpose compute devices, I would say that, yeah, it was a little bit more of an open question, but the Linux community and its associated programming languages have really moved fast in terms of adopting ARM. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, these ARM CPUs are used in smartphones, tablets, many other sort of mobile devices. And so what we're seeing is that these these chips that folks have been using in these in these smart devices in these mobile devices um, have been scaling up both to like personal computers but also into the data center and you know it was sort of an open question a couple of years ago hey is arm going to work in the data center well it turns out it works really well in the data center yeah. as well 
Um, and so that's just expanded the software ecosystem that will support uh, these ARM CPU architectures right out of the box. Yeah, and not to mention too that there's a there's a cost savings as well when you start moving to, to ARM chips as well, not just from the, the hardware manufacturing, but the downline costs as well. Uh, so I think that's an important reason to to start looking at that too. So you you mentioned that ARM doesn't you know and, and ARM doesn't sell their chips directly, right? It, the the real thing that they do is they sell the licensing for the chip as well, right? That's what that's what they sell is the licensing. So with Graviton, that was actually something that we developed in house from what I recall, um, and it's been it's been developed over time, and we keep tweaking the Graviton architecture. Um, Let's dig into, I think, some of the use cases, because I think that's an important one to go into. And I know a lot of my customers will ask me, you know, is there a specific use case where ARM just makes more sense? And that's what you should start off from the beginning. Uh, do you guys want to dig into some of those use cases? Sure, I can talk about a couple of them. Um, so in some cases, there are, so if, if you think about AWS services, right, we have EC2, and that lets you specify the exact sort of instance type and deploy everything to it. Then we have these other services that let you, uh, that are more managed by AWS, right? Whether it's um, RDS, where you're choosing an instance type, or something like Lambda, where you're just talking about memory capacity, right? Um these services, the, the infrastructure layer is managed by AWS. And in those cases, for those managed services that support Graviton, and there's a lot of them, if you're using any of those services, you don't need to recompile anything. We've already done that work for you. Um, so everything from Aurora to Relational Database Service, RDS, uh, MemoryDB for Redis, ElastiCache, OpenSearch, EMR, I mentioned Lambda and AWS Fargate. You know, those services let you select the uh, either the instance type and the Graviton instance types will show up in the options that you have there. Um, or for example, in Lambda, you don't you don't select an instance type, but if you're working with one of the supported programming languages, uh, which is a, most, if not all of them, then you can say, hey, I want to run this Lambda function on an ARM64 CPU architecture. And so you can just change your option there in that managed service. And all of a sudden, boom, you're running on on Graviton. Um, and so there's no recompilation needed. Uh, you know, if you're talking about, say, an RDS database, right, the SQL is exactly the same. There's nothing processor specific about uh, about SQL. Um, and same thing with Lambda. You know, if you have a Lambda function that's running Node.js or running Python, again, unless there's something that is really CPU specific in your, uh, in, let's say, Python code, then that same code is going to run exactly the same on Graviton as it will on x86. All right. Awesome. That's, that's a good thing to know. Then I think that that we've we've kind of hit that home pretty well. But the the sort of architecture, right? We talked about the the use cases there. Are there specific customer workloads that we you know when we think about you know some some of those existing workloads today? Are, are there some easy ones that customers should sort of put top of line or top of mind uh, for the migration from x86 to Graviton? Yeah. So if you're if you're using some of those managed services, I think it's worth taking a look at the Graviton options there because again, that can be a pretty straightforward upgrade if you're just changing your instance type. Um, also, in terms of other applications that our customers are deploying onto AWS, uh, you know, we see a lot of use of EC2, of course, and then we see containers as well as one of the uh, the primary ways that customers run their compute workloads. Um, and Graviton can work in both of those cases. So for EC2, you know, you can spin up a Graviton2 instance. Um, if your programming language has a compile step, then compile that source code uh, to target ARM64. Uh, but again, if you're talking about Python or JavaScript, including Node.js or PHP or 
go, those languages aren't compiled. So as long as the language runtime supports the ARM64 architecture, and all of those do, then you don't need to do any changes to run on Graviton. You just deploy that code as you normally would uh, onto that new Graviton2 instance, and it'll just work. So, so um, let me get this straight. I'm just going to jump in here. You said PHP, and I, I wrote some PHP code about 15 years ago. So are we saying some of that PHP code over 15 years ago is going to run on ARM? As long as it is, if it runs currently on x86, yeah. uh, then it'll it'll run in in almost all cases, unless there's again, unless there's something that you're doing that's specific to you know Intel or, or AMD CPUs. Uh, in almost all cases, if it'll run on a modern x86 instance, then it'll run on Graviton as well. That, that's that's awesome to think that my old PHP is inefficient as an application it was back then. Now I really can throw hardware at it. It's just far more efficient hardware now than it was 15 years ago. Um, all right, I cut you off there. I know you wanted to talk about Java and .NET. So, so why, don't you, why don't you talk about that? Because I know we do have .NET customers. So really important that we talk about Java and .NET as well. Uh, is sure. there any compilation there that you want to call out? Yeah, so so languages, uh, you know, Java and .NET uh, do need to be compiled, and and both of those compilers, and I sort of use compilers in 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 quotes there, right? Because what they're doing is Java and .NET aren't necessarily. I mentioned earlier that there are a bunch of asterisks about you know producing something that targets a particular CPU architecture, and that's because Java and .NET, the actual code, it compiles down to an intermediate language, right? And then that intermediate language is actually interpreted and run by the Java runtime or the .NET runtime, right? And so that intermediate language is uh, more or less cross-platform, uh, but both of both Java and .NET, you can compile down to that intermediate language. And when you do, target ARM64. Uh, both of those languages support that. Um, and so when you have that ARM64 deployment artifact, then again, you can deploy them out, you can deploy them onto the server, just like you would on x86, because the Java and .NET runtimes that you would install on that EC2 instance, you would just install the ARM64 versions of those runtimes. And then those runtimes can support running the ARM64 intermediate language that you've compiled um, and deployed out onto those machines. So the steps are really the same that you would use for x86. You're just switching the target to ARM64. Okay, so so at least that, I like that idea, right? I think that's an important thing to say. You know, you're just switching the target there. You really should give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? The compilation will fail, and then you can address the compilation to find out, you know, what issues you have in your code that you need to update so that it can compile for that target. And then, you, then at that point, you can make that decision whether you want to uh, go ahead and put in that time and effort to rebuild your code or application or add the new libraries, whatever you need to do uh, to make it compile for uh, x64. Is that Would you agree there? Yeah, absolutely. Although again, unless your code is like the vast majority of business logic code is going to cross compile just fine, right? Yeah. Unless you're doing something that really hits a particular CPU uh, specific instruction, then uh, then your code is going to compile uh, in all likelihood just fine. And even if you're talking about something that might use some particular CPU extensions, like say an image manipulation library or something like that, again, as long as you're using that as, as sort of a library, like maybe an open source library then as long as that open source library supports arm 64 then again you're good to go yeah right it, you know the the number of um 
workloads that we have that are where folks are actually writing code that does direct uh, sort of manipulation of CPU specific features, um, I think is probably going to be pretty low. And in most cases, just your, your everyday business logic um, is going to cross compile over to ARM64 with no issues at all. Yeah. And, and I think just to remind everybody again, I mean, ARM is not new. I mean, we've had ARM in, in cell phones probably before even 2007, but at least I know, you know, top of my head since 2007 easily. So 13 plus years of of development, you know, around the ARM architecture and developing libraries and toolings and stuff like that. So I, I really want to encourage customers, right, based on what you're hearing here, give it a try, right? There's really nothing that's going to stand in your way, if you will, right? And, and if, even if it doesn't work, it, it's only minimal steps there to find out that it didn't work. Um, you know, and if, if that even is the case, I really do want to encourage everybody to jump in and, and do give that a try. Um, all right, let's, yeah, you know, and sorry to interrupt here, but you know, the ARM architecture is actually even older than that, right? The ARM architecture is actually almost as old as x86. I believe ARM was introduced first in, uh, 1983, 82, 83, something along those lines, uh, about the same time as Wrath of Khan came out. Um, and I, I marked the time by Star Trek movies. All right, good. So, so I was originally almost correct. It was not. It's even more than twenty years then. So now we're talking almost thirty years um, of an ARM chip, right? So yeah, definitely a lot of development years and a lot of experience cycles with ARM. So you know, again, encourage everybody to try that out. All right, let's talk about containers a bit because I, I want to understand: is it is it a different beast when we talk about containers? I want to add one thing to. Yeah, uh, sure. I want to add one thing to what Matt uh, get. A, a, you guys did a great commentary on that. One of the tactical advantages that we have with ARM architecture is that when the CPU revolution started in the early 2000s and we started to see uh, Palm Fund and others, all those phones were using these ARM architectures. So companies started to port their, uh, their libraries, third-party libraries, runtimes, and things like that into ARM architecture. So when Android came out, uh, and Raspberry came out, a lot of customers who were wanted to take advantage actually invested in uh, supporting the open source translation for these third-party libraries. So you will see Python libraries, you will see uh, Java libraries that at one time, if they were taking advantage of the x86 architecture, then they were ported to take advantage of the ARM architecture. And when the that whole architecture came to the server side, it was a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and, no, def- definitely agreed. And one one more thing that uh, that once that the customers might be a bit careful is that when you are cross compiling for a for two set of architectures, the, the 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 common runtime libraries or the common software that's provided is going to be fine. The only risk that you might enter is with the library, the third party library, or any proprietary library that is using specific instruction set, and that use case is very very limited to. Uh, very optimized use cases, like for example, you mentioned cryptography. You mentioned uh, um, uh, some other high-performance compute, where you, where customers want to directly address or libraries are directly addressing uh, the CPU instruction set and, and bypassing all the uh, intermediary. That's where the the risk and challenges would come. Yeah, no, definitely good stuff there. So I think you know, there, there's those edge cases. I think like always, right? And I think if you have an edge case, talk to your solution architect. Uh, drop us a note here, right? Talk to your teams, uh, talk to your account team, and have that discussion, right? I think that's definitely something that's worth diving into. All right, let's uh, let's keep us moving along just uh, to keep the show going. Um, I I do want to talk about containers though before we move on to the next section. There, do you guys think that this is a, a different beast if you if you're building mostly on containers? 
Well, what I've seen is that in a lot of cases, the same things that we talked about with EC2 are similar for containers, right? Docker runs on ARM64, uh, runs really well, again, indistinguishable from x86. And so whenever you're building a containerized application, you're choosing a base container image, right? Whether that is a base container image that already has like that runtime deployed, or whether it's an image that's just based on like a minimal operating system, one way or the other, you're basing your application's container on some sort of a base image. And so if you're wanting to run your container on ARM, you'll choose a base container image that's based on the ARM64 architecture. Um, and so, you know, in the case of languages like Python or JavaScript, again, those languages that aren't compiled, once you've done that, your deployment process, your container build process is going to be really very similar because you're just going to copy your code over and the language runtime is going to be included in that base container image. And so copy your code over and um, deploy as normal and you're good to go. Now, if you have a case where um, in, say, again, languages like Java and .NET, in a lot of cases, uh, customers are doing a multi-stage build where they actually build the application inside of the container. Um, and if you're doing that, then again, you'll need to update those base container images to point to the ARM64 versions of either the Java or the .NET runtimes. But there are officially supported uh, container images that target ARM64 from both Java and .NET. Um, so really, it might be just a couple of lines in your Docker file that you need to update at most. Um, and then once you've done that, your entire container deployment process will uh, will go forward as normal. Uh, you know, on, a on the AWS side, uh, Elastic Container Registry, ECR, uh, that actually supports multi-architecture images. Uh, so you can push out an image and target it at, and note that that image is either uh, running on x86 or running on ARM64. Okay, cool. So I think you guys went through, we, we had a lot of good stuff there. We, we talked about containers, EC2, right? We talked about the workloads, use cases. We talked about, I think, most of the use cases that are covered out there, right? But I think there was one really key one that we're, we're missing. I think that's really Windows. Um, can we really dig around maybe some Windows stuff and some other missing pieces there that come to mind for you guys? Yeah, Windows is the biggest missing piece right now in terms of the ARM64 uh, server story. Uh, Windows Server doesn't currently run on ARM. Uh, there, there isn't a version of Windows Server that we can deploy on ARM. So when we look at Windows-specific workloads, if we want to get those under Graviton, then that's typically part of a broader conversation about modernizing that Windows-specific workload. And once that modernization is completed, then the modernized application is typically going to be uh, eligible to run on Graviton, could be able to run on Graviton. Uh, so we have a lot of programs to help out with this. We have everything from, uh, you know, automated tooling uh, to help port, uh, say, a .NET framework application over to modern version of .NET, which is open source and cross-platform. Uh, we have a modernization labs that, that folks can uh, employ to help get some assistance from AWS in terms of modernizing that workload. Uh, so between the programmatic uh, tools and the services that we can offer to help our customers migrate, that's the most direct way for a Windows-specific workload, especially on .NET framework, uh, to be able to run on Graviton is to modernize that um, into something that is running on a, a current version of the .NET platform. Okay, so that makes sense. So if you have any of those legacy workloads, right, those are something that you're going to have to sort of think through that process. But if it's a legacy Windows.NET workload, you got to think through that whole process there. So let's, uh, 
you know, I, I think one of the things that we really want to talk about as well is, you know, there, there's always, you know, uh, ESG and, and uh, environmental stuff that customers are trying to do, right? We're all looking at trying to better the earth and, and what things we can do. Um, and I think that's one of really one of the key areas of, of Graviton, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about not just cost savings, but we're also talking about power efficiency. Um, can you guys help me dig into that a little more? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, this speaks to the ARM CPU's lineage of being used in power-constrained environments, right? I mean, whenever phones and, and tablets are coming out, they're talking about battery life. Uh, you know, if you have like a smartwatch, again, that's got an ARM CPU in there. And those sorts of devices, the devices that we carry with us every day and, and might not be near a power outlet, they need to have battery life that is going to last um, all day if, if they can. Um, and so that power efficiency has been a hallmark of the ARM CPU architecture um, ever since it was introduced. And so when we take that into the data center, what we see is that in terms of performance per watt, uh, the Graviton 2 and Graviton 3 processors have a really compelling story there. Uh, if you're using Graviton 3, Graviton 2, Graviton 3, you can see that the carbon footprint of the workloads that customers are running in AWS, that can actually reduce that footprint uh, because just to take Graviton 3 as an example, those instances can use up to 60% less energy for the same performance compared to uh, x86 EC2 instances. Uh, we've actually added a new sustainability pillar to the AWS well-architected framework that can help you evaluate some of these uh, some of these choices to see if you're using the most energy efficient options available for your workloads. Yeah, so great option to to sort of tackle if you have ESG initiatives within the organization, right? ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And so if you're if you're hearing within the organization that you have uh, some environmental direction, right? You're you're trying to do better with ESG. Um, R might be an option, right? Going to Graviton might be a way to to, to address that environmental issue for the organization uh, by reducing that footprint, moving off of x86 and some of those legacy processors. Uh, so really good stuff there. Uh, Mohammed, can you help me? You know what what are the uh, what are some of the common use cases that we're seeing when it comes to uh, Graviton three and, and web apps and stuff like that? Uh, can we dive into that topic? Absolutely. So um, increasingly, we are seeing customers taking advantage of the price and performance advantage, and recently talked about uh, advantage of of going green for their web application. So any simple web application that is using uh, your common framework, such as uh, pro common programming languages, such as Java, Python, uh, PHP, uh, .NET, Ruby, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all of these libraries do have support and capability to run uh, on ARM processors. So you can typically move them as it is without making any changes. Um, so, and then in a case where you need to recompile the application, our AWS managed services for code building also supports uh, using ARM as a architecture to compile your application. So uh, as uh, Matt was mentioning earlier, what you can do is that you can add another parallel bit or another build uh, in your code pipeline and take advantage of that capability and compile your application and see if it deploys to another environment, if it runs, if it runs faster, it behaves the same and things like that. Um, and then same goes for the back end. Like if you have a three-tier application, your front end can be um, running on Nginx, uh, uh, be running on a Graviton processor. Uh, you really, really don't need any heavy lifting there. And if you have a middle tier, any API calls, any REST APIs that you're trying to build, 
you can deploy those on an ARM architecture. And then, like I said, take advantage of the, um, the performance, deploy to parallel environments, see how the systems are performing, what is the CPU utilization, uh, turn on the AWS Trusted Advisor, let the, let the applications run for some time and see what are the recommendations that we're providing you, whether you're, you're oversized or you're undersized and things like that. No, good stuff, Mohammed. Thank you very much for that detail. So let's talk about databases, right? I think I think databases is another one to explore. We talked about uh, web apps, right? We talked about other applications, uh, but you mentioned three tier there, Mohammed, and you, you talked about particularly the the middle tier, right? Which is the the application layer that's talking to the database underneath. So we know we can handle the the web tier. We know we can probably handle the application layer. But what do, what do you guys think about the database? Yeah. So the good news is that relational database service RDS supports Graviton. Um, so whenever you're setting up an RDS database, you can choose an instance type. Um, and just like the x86 instance types, Graviton instances will show up as an option for a database engine that can run on ARM. Um, and those engines are MySQL 8.0.17 and up, MariaDB 10.4.13 and up, and PostgreSQL 12.3 and up. So if you're, wanting, if you're running one of those database engines, then when you look at the available options for instance types, you'll see those G instances uh, show up in that, uh, in that list. And again, if you're talking about you know, a, a 2XL instance, um, that's gonna have the same vCPUs and the same memory, whether that's Intel, AMD, or now G for Graviton. So you'll see M6i, M6a, and then M6g um, as instance options for your RDS database. And so if you're if you're running your database on Graviton, you're going to see those price performance savings. Uh, so what we often see is about a 12% savings uh, on MySQL and PostgreSQL for general purpose instances and up to 35% better performance. So you, again, there's it's both a, an improvement in the cost per hour and then also an improvement in performance uh, for moving to Graviton. And then um, same, and, sorry. same same question on the on the Windows side though, because I know this can come from my customers. Do you have to change any of the SQL code? No, I mean SQL code is one of those again, like JavaScript, like uh, Python, like Go. Uh, SQL code is uh, not compiled, at least it's not compiled ahead of time. So you don't need to change any of your SQL, uh, any of your table designs, any of your stored procedures or views. Uh, that all moves over to the ARM database instance, and it works exactly the same as on x86. Um, and you can actually migrate from an x86 instance to a Graviton instance by just going in and changing the instance type, even for an existing database. And RDS will handle setting up a Graviton instance and moving your database over to that new CPU architecture. Again, no SQL changes needed. Yeah, I think that's an awesome one. I, I can't, I, there's so many use cases in the past where I can think of databases that were very purpose-driven and they were doing very specific things and they did not need all the horsepower of the x86 or, or 64 that were thrown at them. Um, and I think the, the advantage of ARM here is that really that cost savings and efficiency. So great opportunity to look for, for databases as well. Um, we, we did talk about Lambda, but I, I want to get to containers a bit more. Mohammed, I know you, you teased this before a bit. Um, can you dig into the container stuff a little more? Sure. So um, let me do a quick recap of the, of the AWS offering from the containers world. So we originally had Elastic Container Service ECS. Then we, we then we introduced a serverless model of the same service called uh, Fargate, and then we have EKS, which is Elastic Kubernetes Service, Managed Kubernetes Service, and then we also have EKS Fargate, which is the serverless version of the EKS. So all in all, we have like four container uh, 
uh, four container uh, offerings. Um, from the from the Graviton point of point of view, we do have the capability to run um, um, uh, Graviton based uh, containers in ECS. And the advantage here is again that you get up to forty percent price better better price performance and typically twenty percent uh, local cost uh, lower cost than what the other platform than the other x86 architecture. Um, so similarly, your application uh, you can recompile it if it's uh, if it's a runtime based application or if it's an interpreted language like Python, JavaScript, Ruby. You can just compile. You can just deploy the con uh, build your container, deploy it to Fargate, and then see how this how it's going to respond. Um, again, you have to be careful about the libraries that are required or the, the libraries that are supported uh, required for your runtime. Like make sure that the X86 version of libraries are there. Uh, make sure the X86 version are not there. You're using the right uh, ARM-based architecture libraries. Sometimes you have to import or include a specific version of the library. It depends upon how it was implemented. Uh, but I definitely encourage everyone to test out, especially where you have like low utilization workloads. You have like web applications. You have um, small lightweight APIs. They're a great candidate uh, to be tried out on Graviton. Yeah, good, good stuff there, Mohammed. Matt, what do you think about Lambda? Yeah, thanks, Shai. So for Lambdas, you can choose the architecture for your function, um, either x86-64 or ARM64. And that ARM64, if you choose that as the CPU architecture, that's going to be running on Graviton, and you'll get the benefits of running on Graviton. But when you change that CPU architecture, it's not going to change the inputs or the outputs of the Lambda function. Uh, if you're integrating with API Gateway or Event Bridge or S3 or DynamoDB, all of those integrations work exactly the same. There are no code changes needed there. Um, you know, Mohammed was talking about, you know, how Graviton is a drop-in replacement in a lot of cases for containers. Same thing for Lambda. Again, if you're talking about anything with perhaps third-party libraries, if you have like Lambda layers or other packages, then you'll want to make sure that those packages all support ARM64 all the way down the chain. Uh, but again, the latest versions of Java, .NET, JavaScript, Python, Ruby, and Node.js all supported uh, on Graviton 2. And you can also build your own custom runtime that's based on Amazon Linux 2. And because Amazon Linux 2 runs on Graviton, that custom runtime will support running on Graviton as well under Lambda. So when you're running a Lambda on Graviton 2, Again, the, just like we saw with RDS, the Lambda functions are going to run faster and they're cheaper to run per second. So you save in two ways, right? Because with Lambda, you're billed for the duration of your code execution, right? So let's say that you have a function that runs for one second or 1,000 milliseconds on x86. Well, in general, that function is going to run for 850 milliseconds on ARM. And again, because with Lambda, you're paying for the number of milliseconds that your function is running, that's cheaper right, right off the bat, you know, but each of those 850 milliseconds is 20% cheaper running on ARM. So not only is your function taking up less time to run, but the time it takes up is built at a lower rate than it would be on x86. So for Lambdas, it's a really powerful option uh, to just change the CPU architecture of a function uh, or set up a new function that's running on that ARM64 uh, architecture. And again, try it out, see if it works. Because in almost all cases, uh, a Lambda function is going to be able to run uh, on Graviton as a drop-in replacement for x86.
Yeah, good, good stuff there. And I know I know you only said one second, 850 milliseconds. You know, it might not sound like that much, right? People might be saying, hey, you know what? I can't tell the difference between one, one second and 850 milliseconds. But remember, we're talking about Lambda here. We're talking about functions that are running. And so you might have an application, you might have hundreds or thousands of different functions that execute, you know, at any given if, any given time. So it actually can tally up to be a pretty big savings. Um, so keep in mind that rough, you know, 15, 20%. And what does that look like in the overall bigger picture? Um, especially if you're, you're scaling up pretty significantly. All right, but before we wrap up, we, we've we've had a lot of good discussion so far. This has really been a blast. But you know, where where do you both think that customers should start? Right, if somebody is just, you know, coming into this, they have you know traditional EC two instances. You know, where where do you guys think that they should start? I think we have to look at um, each of these workload uh, by workload to workload basis. So typically, when we are looking at types of workload, we have general purpose, we have compute optimized, memory optimized, storage optimized, and then you have accelerated workloads such as HPC, machine learning, uh, video encoding, and things like that. So we try to place or we try to design instances that are uh, specifically for those uh, type of processes or those type of workloads. So if you're looking at general purpose workloads where we are looking at M6 and T4G processors, like the G stands for Graviton, and then they provide the best in the price value for running your common workloads. Then the next category that we can talk about it is the compute optimized instances. So it means any instance that needs uh, more compute capacity than others. Like for example, if you have any floating point operations that you want to do, or if you want to do some mathematical calculations and things like that, that's where Graviton processor also add a lot of value. Then we have um, uh, types of workloads which are memory optimized. So you have, um, uh, databases, for example, that need to do a lot of read and write into the memory. You have in-memory caching systems, Redis, KDB, Memcache, and things like that. They also can get a great advantage, uh, again, because of the price to performance uh, value and then uh, the way that we have optimized. And the last two are storage optimized instances. Any type, any time where you need to do a lot of read and write from the storage subsystem, for example, you're, uh, you have to do a lot of database scans for your MySQL queries uh, or Postgres queries, or if you are running any kind of NoSQL databases such as Cassandra, MongoDB, et cetera, et cetera. These can also take advantage of the price slash performance. And then the last part is the accelerated computing where we talk about uh, ML processes that are um, compute and memory intensive in, in some cases. Um, uh, these are going to get great advantage out of these Graviton processors. Good stuff there. Matt, anything to, to add for sort of some get, getting started guide or what's in the quick next steps? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great list from Muhammad. I would say that in terms of low-hanging fruit, you know, if the idea of recompiling your code or testing your code on another CPU architecture, if that seems kind of intimidating, then one sort of low-hanging fruit uh, option could be some of those managed services that we've talked about that support Graviton out of the box, right? If we're talking about like RDS, Relational Database Service, or Aurora, uh, or Lambda, as we just discussed, uh, or uh, Memory DB Feridus, or Elasticache, right? Those are services where AWS has done the work to make sure that the entire stack is going to function on Graviton. Uh, and it's going to be, again, a drop-in replacement there for x86. So if you're using one of those services and you wanted to kick the tires on Graviton, then you can just either spin up sort of a, another version, another instance of that service, and, and try out your configuration there or even migrate your existing instance over to Graviton 
um, in a really straightforward process. And so there, you don't even have to do any sort of compilation step. Uh, again, the entire architecture stack, we've tested it out to make sure it works well on Graviton. And you'll start seeing the price performance benefits of Graviton on that service. So that's a way to start using Graviton without even having to do anything in terms of recompilation or looking at your own, own source code. Cool. Thank you guys. Thank you guys both. There's, there's so much stuff to take away there. Right? And I think the, the key thing for me there is that there's very few use cases where, where Graviton doesn't make sense and it doesn't hurt to really try it. You're not, you know, really damage anything you're not taking a huge leap here uh, just kind of give it a try and, and kick the tires on a little bit but to, you know to be fair to our listeners are, are there places where graviton doesn't make sense like is there something that stands out to to you guys that you know you say yeah i don't don't do that on graviton so I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So we've talked a, a couple of times about the possibility of some workloads that might have optimizations for particular CPU architectures. So if there's something that you're doing that is really going down to the bare metal that is using, say, particular extensions to x86 that are specific to Intel or specific to AMD, um, if there's something that's really sort of, again, working at that bare metal level, then that's where something, uh, you know, it might not make sense to run on Graviton, or it might be in terms of, you know, cost benefit to actually getting that workload running on Graviton, it might be something that might take more time to migrate. There are some, if you look at some of the benchmarks out there of Graviton, in general, we do see that 20% better performance, 20% uh, uh, more affordable dynamic playout. But, you know, as you've seen, if you look at CPU benchmarks, different CPUs have different strengths and weaknesses. And so if there's a particular type of CPU operation that your workload leans on very heavily, then it's probably worth at least testing that out on Graviton. Because again, the, the numbers that we see do generally hold up, but there are um, some exceptions where x86 can perform equivalent or sometimes a little bit better than ARM uh, on some very specific types of workloads. Uh, so it's always worth doing some benchmarking, doing some testing to see if your particular uh, CPU usage is going to benefit from the ARM64 architecture. Cool. Thanks for that. Mohammed, uh, anything from you? No, the the only uh, uh, thing that we have to watch out is specifically when you're looking at Windows-based workloads. That's where you have to be very clear uh, what you're trying to migrate. Um, a lot of customers have been very um, clear about the future of .NET. So they are already targeting .NET Core as their, as their primary target environment. So .NET Core running on x86, x it just needs to be recompiled uh, for, the, um, for the ARM architecture. So that's the easy thing. But then if you are dependent on third-party libraries, there are some open source tools that you can look at uh, that will tell you that this library is not going to work because it uses something which is tied to another library and that library has not been updated. So you might end up rewriting some of that. So my my uh, one thing that I would look out for is, is anything that you're running on Windows. That's where uh, you have to be careful. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I, th I think the, the key messaging there, right, is there's very few use cases that, that don't make sense, right? And if you kind of fall into that bucket, you, you might already know that you're kind of in that specialized world. And so talk to your account team, talk to your solution architect. Um, and, and, you know, we have a lot of experience. We've been through this with a lot of customers. And our, our goal is just to continue driving uh, performance and price efficiency. So you're not really, you know, losing out on anything here. You're, if anything, you're only gaining. Uh, so we just want to, you know, always take a look at those options, always look at opportunities. All right, guys, this has been a wonderful show. You guys have been friends for a long time, and it's been wonderful having you both on. And I, I really want to keep going, but I have to close this out because we just want this to be a, a full day-long show. 
Um, so let's let's close it up, right? We talked a lot of good stuff. We, we talked about foundations and some of the key things there with, with ARM and kind of we talked a lot about the, the background and the, the history of ARM. Matt, thank you for going through all that. Uh, we talked about the background of, you know, how we got there and all that stuff. So, you know, Muhammad, can you talk about some of the features and then we'll wrap up? The thing that we have to really look at from the uh, from the point of view is like what type of applications that you're trying to migrate, what are different proclers that you're interested in migrating, and then keep an, uh, a focus on uh, the uh, the lightweight web applications, your like simple databases that you can, uh, as Matt mentioned earlier, just you can redeploy to a different architecture. That's something that you can you should definitely try out. And then um, your plain application PHP, JavaScript. Uh, Python, anything running on, uh, on on like a basic framework should be a good candidate to start with. Cool. Thank you much. Uh, Matt, Any anything that stood out to you that you want to close out with? Yeah. So just a reminder, you know, the history of Graviton, it's part of the ARM CPU lineage. Um, and that has a long history that goes back again to the 80s and more recently as part of devices like mobile phones, tablets, Raspberry Pis, um, and that ARM CPU architecture is making that jump to the data center with Graviton. And it's now on our third generation uh, where the first generation was more experimental. The second generation really moved into the mainstream with the sort of mainline types of EC2 instances, M series, R series, C series. Um, and now with Graviton 3 starting to roll out in our C7 instances as of again, mid 2022, um, you know, we're seeing that third generation of Graviton. Uh, we talked about what an ARM CPU is and how it's different from an x86 CPU, how they speak different low-level programming languages, but a lot of the higher-level uh, languages that most developers are using today, whether that's compiled languages like Java and .NET or scripting languages like Node.js, JavaScript, uh, Go, Python, those languages, the underlying stack for those languages have already been updated to support ARM. And so getting those workloads running on ARM, as Muhammad was saying, is, is a question of um, either reco recompiling at the worst, or in a lot of cases, just redeploying your code onto a Graviton instance, um, and you're off to the races. And then we also talked about some of the services that AWS offers that can be configured to run on a Graviton-based instance. And so in that case, again, there's no need to recompile. There's no need to uh, you know make any changes. It's a drop-in replacement, and you start getting those price performance benefits of the Graviton architecture awesome matt thank you look thank you guys both so much you know thank you listeners for joining the show thank you for dropping in um you know listeners if you want to dig deeper into anything around graviton or anything about the topics that we talked about today uh you know please drop us a note let us know we're, we're happy to do a follow-up show share your comments share your suggestions it really drives the future direction of all our episodes muhammad matt i, I want to say again it's been an awesome show you guys both put a huge of effort definitely bring a ton of passion in this space it's clear that you guys both love this area um and you bring so much depth to the conversation uh, i really look forward to having you both on again deep diving into more graviton stuff diving into many other topics so thank you both uh this certainly been a blast and i've learned a lot hey thank you shy i really appreciate the opportunity always great to talk with you always great to talk with muhammad uh so thanks thanks again for uh, having me on thank you shy for uh for having me i i Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I hope the listeners will also get some real information out of these uh, of this conversation. And uh, looking forward for uh, the next podcast. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to the AWS Tech Chat by visiting awstechchat.com.